The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. A lot of people have asked me to speak on this issue, and it was kind of an issue I was not going to touch. But, you know, some people in my inner circle realized I kind of had to speak on it. I know Scott Grable spoke to the um, New York Post last night about it. And today we're going to talk about the Oxford tragedy a little bit. And I'm going to start with this. Prosecutors and defense lawyers, we walk on different sides of the aisle. Yeah, we just do. But at the end of the day, I think we all want justice. Whether it is justice for the community, justice for our clients, and this profession allows us have a really good lifestyle and maybe that helps delay a little bit and we're supposed to use our talents for the greater good this is one of those situations that is beyond complicated I'm going to say during the elections when Karen McDonald ran against Jessica Cooper. I got to know Karen a little bit. Now, obviously, Karen being who she is, I mean, we're not hanging out and doing lunch. She's a prosecutor, a damn good prosecutor, and I am who I am. I definitely supported Karen McDonald. And this last week, to me, only emphasized that I was right in supporting Karen McDonald. Um, Karen McDonald is a very tough and fair woman who's a mother, she was a family law judge, and nobody could have been prepared for what happened. And she's handled it with class, and she's fought like hell for her county. And she's definitely going to be part of this podcast today because I don't like some of the things I've heard. I don't feel Karen McDonald is doing anything for publicity. There was a shooting at a high school in her county and four young people have lost their lives she's taking swift and appropriate actions and i'm saying this not as just a defense lawyer but as a man when i heard mike mccabe the under sheriff make the comments he did in the detroit news and m live i was disgusted but we'll get there I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And today we're talking about the Oxford tragedy. Now, unless you're living under a rock, you've heard about this tragedy. And what do you say about a school shooting that hits so close to home? From all accounts, it looks like the young man had planned it. From what I understand, and guys, understand something. I haven't reviewed the discovery. I only know what I've read online. But it looks like premeditated murder. For all accounts, it was first degree murder. It was acts of terrorism. It looked like a plan to kill young people. And from what I understand, it was hit week. And with hit week, what we're talking about is... There are going to be a number of shootings across the state of Michigan. And from what I understand, one kid decided not to do it. And then the crumbly kid did his thing. Then the parents 
Um, now they're charged with involuntary manslaughter, and they got these high bonds, which are very justified in my opinion. I will say this. People have asked me, was I going to be a lawyer on this case? I know Shannon Smith is defending the parents, and Shannon Smith is an excellent lawyer. A lot of respect for Shannon. I was called from either a relative or a friend of somebody in the Crumbly clan. They got my insight. I'm sure they were doing Google searches. Um, I'm sure Scott Grable was probably called. They were probably interviewing different people. I could tell you... I had no interest in this case. Um, in this situation, I'm holding hands with the prosecution, so I would not be the right fit. No matter how much money was offered, I'm just, I can't wrap my head around what happened at the school. You know, in my cases, to me, you know, you have to advocate like hell for your client, but you also have to connect with your client. And I, could not connect with anybody in this situation from a defense point of view. I'm not at that point in my career where you could throw me a bunch of money. I'm just going to take a case. I, my empathies with the family in that county. And I called a couple Oakland County prosecutors I know this week. I do some work in Oakland and we have a few active cases and I didn't hear back from them. And I realized, you know, I just shot a few emails out. Hey, guys, hang in there. Because I realized some of these prosecutors I'm dealing with, you know, I don't hang out with them, but I'm assuming some of them have children or friends of children or connections to this school. Understand what happened here, guys. This was an act of domestic terrorism. On Black Friday... The parents buy this kid a gun. What, 72 hours later? He destroyed four young lives. And how many more he may have destroyed? <sighs> Are the parents accountable? They're charged with involuntary manslaughter. And we were in Detroit on, I guess it was Tuesday. I was going over some evidence with a prosecutor in Wayne County. And after we were done going over this evidence for a few hours, we were talking about this case. A few of us were just sitting around the table, and I was the only defense lawyer there. And the big topic was, were the parents going to be charged? And we talked about potential charges. You know, would there be an aiding and abetting situation? Would there be involuntary manslaughter? Would it just be a misdemeanor, failure of supervision? You know, um, and, you know, Kathy Bowman, you're right. This was preventable, unfortunately. And then the charges came. Let's talk about Mike McCabe first. You know, when McCabe says on serious cases, we go get clients, we don't announce charges, and he threw Karen McDonald under the fucking bus. That was bullshit. Number one, the sheriff's department and the prosecutor's office have to work in tandem. Now I'm talking from a defense lawyer perspective, okay? But understanding the process. He threw Karen under the bus. The fact that she announced charges to the parents before they were allegedly in custody. That pissed him off. Okay, let's be clear. I'm going to mention some prosecutors I respect. 
Scott Corner, Mark Green, Kim Worthy. These are prosecutors. Arian Slay, for sure. These are prosecutors who I have personal relationships with in one way or another. I have their cell numbers. They have mine. And I could tell you Scott Corner the other day. Big case. Scott Corner said to me, and this is my friend, okay? Even though we're on different sides, I respect Scott Corner. I look up to Scott Corner. But he said, and I quote, Bill, bring your client in or I'm going to go get him. Now, as a defense lawyer, you should always want to bring your client in. Here's why. Safety to the community. Let me self-surrender my client, argue bond. It protects the cops. It protects the community. It protects the client. So when McCabe says, hey, we go get him. Okay, bro, that's not how it works all the time. And I think I would know. I've got some of the most serious criminal cases in the state of Michigan and probably the country. I got 280 active cases right now. I think I know how to do this. And when Karen McDonald announced charges, here's something McCabe failed to realize. Karen has to protect Oakland County. Okay, let's understand that. Do you think that maybe there were people in Oakland County that wanted to hurt the Crumbly family? Do you think maybe Karen, being the intelligent individual she has prevented other tragedies by letting the community know we're going to charge these people? As opposed to vigil anti-stuff happening, Karen employed the process. And I commend her for that. The fact that the undersheriff is pissed off about it. I got a question. What were you, a big Jessica Cooper fan? Because let me ask you something. This is bigger than politics, guys. We should all be standing with Karen McDonald right now. We should not be telling personal stories about our views on things. We should objectively be standing with Oakland County because Oakland County is going through hell. And no matter what we feel, we need to be a team. Now, Kim Worthy is involved. Because the Crumblies apparently were in Detroit. And it sounds like they were fleeing. Again, I wasn't there. But I'll tell you what. I know Kim Worthy. And Kim Worthy and I, you know, we banged heads, obviously. She's not going to tolerate somebody trying to evade prosecution here. She'll charge those people. This is going to evolve into a lot of chaos. And... For Mike McCade to not come to Karen McDonald's defense and instead trash her when this woman is fighting to protect her community, that was bullshit. You know, and from what I understand, and Chris Woodley just posted this, they're like doing GoFunds, I guess, for the bonds of the Crumblies. You know, man, a lot of animal shelters that could use that money. Look at that.
when we break this case down a little bit, I think of a couple things from my past that could I could relate to. And what bothers me is somebody or maybe many people knew what potentially was going to happen. If this kid and his parents were interviewed the day of the tragedy, what were the contents of that interview? And I could tell you right now, you could do a school search at any time. I don't know who was accountable here. I don't know. I do know that Karen will charge anybody she feels is accountable. But this was prevented. This could have been prevented. That's the one thing that kind of bothers me. Now, understand something. As a young person, and I will tell you from my experience growing up in basically the hood of Atlantic City, you don't talk. When something's going to go down, you don't talk. And I remember the um, when the Rodney King verdict came down, I was a kid in Atlantic City. I was awake in Atlantic City. I remember I got my ass kicked that day. Got my ass brutalized that day for being a white kid in the wrong neighborhood. And there was a cop I was friends with. And the cop wanted to know, number one, who did it to me. And there were three, but I knew one of the kids. And I wouldn't give up the name. They wanted to know who did it. And number two, they wanted to know if there was anything else going on. Now, being a kid in Atlantic City in the 90s, you don't snitch. You don't talk. Okay? You just don't do that. But what I did tell the cops were, I've heard there could be some other tragedies occurring in different locations. And I like to think I played a small role in some people not getting hurt that day without being a snitch. I never said, hey, it was Mr. A that did this to me. Now, this was before the explosion of social media. I gotta think somebody knew something and it could have been connected. And that connection could have prevented things. I know being that kid who's not going to be a snitch, that you can't actually name names. But you could have said something to someone, and maybe those four kids would be alive today. You know, people have asked me, how do you defend this case? If you were the defense lawyer on this case, what would you do? And I actually wrote some notes here about how I would defend this case. And I'm making the conscious decision not to discuss that today. I just don't want to play a role on any level of defending this situation. I just, I can't, I can't swallow this. Um, I just want to no part of this. And again, I think the family has very competent counsel and I respect their lawyer. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of missing pieces here. I think Emily Thomas and Nikki are saying there's a lot of players involved, and there are. There's a lot of players involved. Here's what I know. I know four kids are dead. 
I know some kids stayed home from school that day, so somebody knew something. I know the kid was armed. I know he got a gun on Black Friday, which was, I guess, was a gift. You know, when it comes to guns, I'm not a gun guy. And I understand people have a right to carry. I just really think before we allow somebody to have a weapon, we really need to know what their mental health is. The wrong person has a gun. It's basically a license to kill. And I'm not a fan of some of the laws in Michigan on this topic, but... I mean, it's almost as if, and this is from an outsider looking in, okay? As if once this kid got the gun, like he was plotting this for a while. And the gun gave him the tools to go do that. Now, if you're going to give your kid a gun, here's what I say. Make sure the kid's trained properly. Make sure the gun is in a safe place. Make sure the kid cannot take the gun out of the house. And make sure that the mental health of the individual that's possessing the weapon is enough where they can hold that weapon and not use it in a harmful way. Second Amendment, okay, you have a right to bear arms. I get that. I respect that. But I also feel it goes a lot deeper than that. And Matt Grady makes a point. If the kid was a minority, would he have been searched? Yeah, probably, Matt, unfortunately. But the reality is this. When it comes to searching kids in school, and I'll give you guys a story on this, okay? But when it comes to searching kids in school, you know, it's kind of like your Fourth Amendment protections are out the window. You can search a kid. There was a time when I was training to be an officer. Um, it was at a crossroads in my life in Jersey, and there was a big-time drug bust that was going to go on. And nobody could figure out how to get this one particular drug dealer who was dealing to kids. And I suggested that we do like a midnight basketball league in a school now it's midnight so there's not a lot of children around but once you're on that school property you can search the individual and the individual was found and uh yeah that's a way to do it on school property all bets are off i do think that the school has some accountability here some of the questions are coming in you know, um, I really do think that the school has some accountability. Again, I can't speak intelligently on that. You know, obviously, and April Dixon says the parents and the young man are responsible. I agree with that. Yeah, and Mike Pekazny said, unless something has changed the last couple of years, I've always had a gun lock included free of charge with the purchase of a revolver or pistol. And Mike's a responsible guy. I... I don't know what the current status is, to be honest with you. Hey, Brian Lundy, how are you? I certainly adhere to that. I'm not a gun owner. 
but I do feel if you're going to have a gun, you got to make sure you, number one, know how to use it properly, know where to store it, and the mental health situation has to be in place. We can't get past the fact that no matter what we do or say right now, there are four people, four young people with bright futures that were taken away from us. Their families will never be the same. And I don't know the Crumbly family. I don't know. I only spoke to one member. Uh, it was either a family or a friend. They were kind of cryptic with me. And I certainly don't feel that fleeing was a good move. That put everybody on edge. People asked me in the text message, well, do you think there'll be any plea deals? I can't, I don't, I'm not Karen McDonald. I can't speak to that. I would imagine the only plea would have to be plead guilty as charged. I, I can't imagine they're going to play ball to help these people at all. I mean, the world's watching right now. This is not some he said, she said, or the prosecution without evidence. What I understand the evidence is horrifying and it's present. Um, Nikki Lindsay talks about the teachers. Yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's a good point because I would think, take that a step further. It's a lot of great teachers and teachers don't make the money they deserve. But I mean, how many teachers or people that want to be teachers are going to rethink their careers because of things like this? When Columbine happened, we knew there'd be copycat shootings. We knew that was going to happen and it's never going to happen. Josh Champlain, do you see civil litigation by the victim's family against the school? Without knowing all the facts and only knowing what I know today, I would say 100% yes. The problem that we have with suing the school, Josh, is there's going to be a lot of qualified immunity. It's not easy to sue a government actor, as you well know. But I do think... There's definitely going to be a lot of litigation. A lot of texts is coming in right now. I'll do my best to answer them all. Um, I think the question we have to address right now, and this, is, in my opinion, is one thing that McKay, Bouchard, in their diligence, if you would, should be supporting Karen McDonald's. How do we make sure this doesn't happen again? And I think the only way make sure it doesn't happen again is that the sentences are swift and severe i'm not a prosecutor and i know it sounds weird me talking about high sentences and stuff like that but i mean don't we want to send a message that we just can't let this stuff happen ever again forget the crim we'll have for a minute I can't imagine if my dog had been shot where I would be right now. Now, that's my dog because like a child, I don't have kids. What are you thinking as a parent? And I know some of you guys out there, I have some close friends that have children and grandchildren. I mean, what are you thinking when you're sending your kids to school now? Are you scared? Is homeschool going to kick up more? And with homeschooling, do you lose some socialization? Nobody wins in this case. 
I would say this. There is nobody better to protect Oakland County than Karen McDonald. You could quote me on that. That's not me looking for good plea deals for clients. That's not me trying to kiss her ass. That's me who sees a woman who's dealing with f***ing hell and fighting like hell for that community. That's me showing respect for a fellow lawyer in my community. And I'm really grateful that I supported her. Because I do think Oakland County is in the perfect hands with her there. Akiva Bowen, the, these kids shouldn't have to worry about this. You know, they shouldn't. In my neighborhood, right? And I grew up in like a war zone. Like Pitney Village in the 90s, blah, blah, blah. But you know, it was funny. Inside school, I felt safe. I mean, things happen in school, whatever, but the gun violence was outside of school. It was on the way to school and the way home. But inside school, you felt almost a little bit of relief. You felt there's a safety mechanism in place. Do we feel that anymore? I guess that's all I have to say on this topic for now. Um, my thoughts and prayers are with the Oxford community. I hope these families can heal. I know they'll never be able to heal the way they deserve to, but it is what it is. And I sure as hell hope that fucking Mike McCabe realizes that he should be standing with the prosecutor, not trying to throw the prosecutor under the bus. Because if you're all members of the Oakland County community, you should all be working to protect that community. Hats off to Karen. I'm disgusted what McCabe said, and you can quote me on that. That's bullshit. For any undersheriff to say about bringing people in, I told you the Scott Corner story earlier. Safety comes first, and a client turning themselves in is standard when you have a good lawyer on top of things, and that's a reality. And when Karen announced charges, she probably prevented other tragedies from happening, and he should be smart enough to know that. Need to work as a team here, guys. There's no I in team. Put the political bullshit aside. And let's protect these kids. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Yeah, today. So many. So many courts god jails prisons courts they started in Lapeer from there we went to Port Huron then we went to Myland Federal Prison and that was intense you know those flashback days you know like, you ever feel like you're caught between two worlds? I mean, it's like becoming a god repetition for me, this whole two-world shit. I saw today in the news feed 
that New Jack City was going to do a prequel and a sequel. And Skylar Davis, one of my best friends growing up, posted on his Facebook page. And I said to Skylar, oh my god, we went to see that when we were kids. And Skylar said, yep, New Jersey Transit. He used to take the New Jersey Transit bus to the Shore Mall. Man, those were interesting times. And it led me to this live tonight. I got a call from someone. It was a really interesting call. It was from somebody from way back when. Do you ever have a flashback to your past? Do you ever feel like sometimes, like no matter what you do in life, your past, you can't shake that shit, right? And you know, high school was... God, man, high school sucked. You know, you were poor and white from Atlantic City, which really was interesting. Um, it was an interesting dynamic, you know. Because Lake City High was pretty segregated. I've said that before. I said that again. You know, it went one way. It went the other way. And here we are. And you're this white kid from the ghetto. Used to go to these Margate parties sometimes. I mean, and to me, most of the people in Margate were fucking assholes. No offense to Scott Grable. Scott Grable is 10 years older than me. Same high school. Same college. Same travel baseball team, same law school. It's almost like I for we there was a foreshadowing thing going on there. And Scotty's from Margate. And Sky's like a big brother, one of my best friends. But man, I'll tell you. Margate versus Atlantic City was interesting. And you had this desire to fit in with the Margate kids. And there was this one girl that was an Atlantic City girl. Let me tell you about that girl a little bit. Really pretty girl. She was a Spanish girl from Atlantic City. And she was in Miss Gandia's classes. We had journalism together. We had English together. She was really good with literature. But a f***ed up family. And when I say f***ed up, there were some horrible things that went down in her family. And in some ways, you know, she was kind of like the first real crush. You know, and you always had this desire. The Vetner and Margate girls were this and that. But here was this Atlantic City girl. And there was this connection. And the connection was pretty deep sophomore year. Uh, we both worked on the Viking newspaper. And she would be there after hours. We would just hang out. It was cool. You know, it was like... You couldn't fit into this one world, but here's this one girl that kind of gets it. But we come from two different cultures. You know, we were poor Italians. She was a poor Spanish girl. And with that came different cliques. She had her clique. I had my clique. But, you know, we connected. And then, I guess it was junior year, she dropped out of school. And I was really disappointed in that. Because we had this great connection, and... I figured like I'd be taking her to the junior prom and doing this and doing that. And at this point, a lot of the Margate girls, which are the suburban girls, I mean, they would want to hook up with you behind people's backs, but they wouldn't really want to go public with you. You were poor. 
that was a big thing. With her, it was, you know, it was just one of those things where we just connected. But I can't express enough how different the worlds were, you know? Just so fucking different. In the summer after sophomore year, <clears throat> we hung out a little bit, but as most things in the summer, we didn't have a car or anything like that. So it was hard to get around. Uh, went to the gym, went to Ventnor to play baseball, but you're taking buses everywhere. So, like, dating wasn't really a major option. And you didn't walk around my old neighborhood, you know? You just didn't. Because walking around my old neighborhood was kind of dangerous. So the normal lifestyle of that high school kid just wasn't present. In junior year, things fell apart. And I was talking to a relative of hers today. And let me be clear about something. This individual will always be important to me on some level. And when I say important, I mean this. We... Never hooked up, never had sex, never will have sex. But there was some kind of emotional connection from back in the day. It was one of those things. She, in some ways, she was like the first. She ran off. She made some choices that I didn't make. But I'm talking to a relative today, and I've done things over the years. Like, I have PayPal money to help her kids out. Because one of the things that always pisses me the f*** off is when people say, I forgot where I came from. Let me tell you something. When people say that shit to me, I forgot where I f***ing came from, I wish I could f***ing forget where I came from. It is a part of me. Every f***ing day, it's a part of me. And I can't escape if I wanted to. And luckily in Kremlin, I could just embrace that shit, you know? I have been a good friend to her throughout the years. Today it was funny. I had this um, guilt trip laid on me. There's a relative in the picture. She lost a relative from what I was told. And one of her cousins gives me a call. And I'm driving to Point Huron. Now I'm focused on criminal. That's it. And they're telling me the story. They want me to come back to Jersey for something. And I I'm not going back to fucking Jersey. You need money, let me know. But I'm not going to partake in any friendship with you guys. We're just in different worlds. And that came off horrible, right? I sound like a snob. You understand, though, some of the people she's associated with almost be a character and fitness issue just to be in a casino with them. I'm not putting them down. Where we came from, there were paths of escape. You know, Skylar Davis is a cop. Proud of him. I am whatever the fuck I am. Uh, John Pax is a writer. And a professor. Good for John. But there's another element to things, okay? There was many of us that just couldn't escape Atlantic City. And for me, junior year was like this focal point. It was this moment in time, if you would. And I realized today the guilt trip I got on it. I'm talking to her relative on the phone. 
and I'm trying to be a good friend. And I got my cases to deal with. And, you know, when it comes to my cases, I'm kind of selfish. I got to this point in life by working my balls off. And nobody's ever going to take that away from me. And when you've been dirt poor, when you feared for your life walking home, it's in the back of your mind, man. That will not leave you ever. It just won't happen. It's there. It's a conversation I've had with my shrink many times. Yeah, there's this anger there, there's this hostility there, and I can make it evolve and cultivate it into something really cool in court or in plea negotiations, but there's other issues that come with that. And it always kind of stuck in my crawl when people say that you forgot where you came from. And today this girl kind of throws it on me. Well, I guess Mr. Big Shot Lawyer out in Michigan doesn't have time for us anymore. You know, and I'm sitting there like... I never said a bad word about you or any of your people. Your friends, your cousins, this and that. We've gone different paths, but I never badmouthed you guys. We could be Facebook friends. We could be this, we could be that. But we really can't associate the way we used to. Because we were 16 years old and poor on the Jitney. And I was the only white kid. You know, hey, I appreciated it. And I've paid you back 10 times over. But the ones that chose to get involved in things that may or may not be legal. What am I supposed to do with that? Give you some free legal advice? Help you out financially? Be a voice of reason? But can we really be in the same clique? Can we really hang out? Can we? Doesn't seem possible. And today, the relative lays it on me. Because I said to the relative, you know, me and her, I won't mention her name, I really cared for her. I thought her and I were going to be something special. I thought she might have been the one. But she went ghost on me. And it was junior year that she went ghost on me. And I was like, she went ghost on me. Why'd she do that? And they break it down. What happened junior year, Bill? And she goes, do you ever watch your Facebook lives? I'm like, not really. I don't. I, I hear about them afterwards, but I kind of just get in a zone, you know? Junior year, life changed. Mock trial. And she explained to me, you made that mock trial team. Okay. And you were with the Margate kids, and you were studying and doing all this stuff after hours with mock trial. I'm like, so what? So I was never friends with them. They said, no, you weren't. But mock trial changed who you were. Now I'm playing in my mind. It's like, what the f***? Mock trial changed who I was. Now for the life of me, I've never viewed myself as a snob. I never viewed myself as better than anybody. Yeah, I'm confident and I'm f***ing arrogant, but I never use that to put anybody down. I actually feel we all have talents in this world. 
You know, it's a lot of people say, oh, you're an amazing lawyer. Well, I can tell you, there's what, guys are amazing painters. You know, we all have a niche in life, so we should all respect each other's abilities. I always believed that. So how did I become, like, this thing junior year? Like, what the hell happened? I don't understand it. And she breaks it down for me. She used to have your mock trial booklet, you're right. She goes and used to have three of them. She remembered this so vividly. She remembered it so vividly. You'd have three mock trial books. And in the cafeteria or in the gym, you'd be taking notes and doing this and doing that. She goes, you just didn't get in the mock trial. She goes, it consumed you. Like you found something in this life. And everybody could see that what you found was going to take you away from everything. Your world became the law. It's all you cared about. It's all you thought about. You know, we would be on the jitney together and you'd be reading your mock trial book. And it was weird because you didn't want to be great at mock trial to fit in with them. You didn't give a f about them. But whatever you was reading in that book, it became your identity. And as this identity evolved, you pulled away from people. It's like you sold this was your way out, and nothing was going to stop you from that way out. She goes, and Miss Scandia didn't help with that. Now, let me be clear. Miss Scandia was a mother figure to me. I love Gandhi. I miss Miss Scandia. I gave the eulogy at her funeral the summer of my senior year. Miss Scandia, and I told the story before, but we'll talk about it a little bit. When I was going to quit mock trial, she grabbed me by the neck. She basically choked me out. She told me to go back up there. And that changed my life that day. But Miss Scandia was extremely protective of me. You know, um, I've said to people before that I was like the golden boy of the ghetto. And what that meant was this. We have a pot to piss in my family, okay? Mom was a blackjack dealer. Aunt Mayor was sick. Grandpop died. We were pretty poor. Had a lot of, didn't have a vehicle in the house. Didn't have this, didn't have that. Okay. Miss Gandia saw something in me. She wanted me protected. My family saw something. They wanted me protected. So even though I went through some abuse and this and that and fighting to get home and all that shit, there was still like this shield of protection around me. And like mock trial was the way out. Okay, I wasn't going to make as a professional baseball player. May not have been good enough, hurt my shoulder, blah, blah, blah. But in these books, I just saw something. And Miss Gandia said, I want you to focus on writing and law. Writing and law. They are your two focuses in life. And with this one girl, who I really cared for, but we're kids now, okay? It's like puppy love. I learned today one of the reasons 
that we kind of drifted apart. And Miss Gandia played a role in that. Apparently, Miss Gandia said to her, if you want to be with Amadeo, you need to step your game up. You can't be doing this little Linux City bullshit. You need to dress better, you need to act better, you need to study more. Now, there's two ways to take that. One, Miss Gandia was somewhat protecting me. As much as I cared for that girl, it would have been a real setback to my life to have been with her at 16 years old. Um, so it was a protection mechanism. Two, it was kind of like an inspirational thing for her to you know, step her game up if she could. And she was smart, smarter than me. But the way she took it was that she wasn't good enough for me. So we drifted away. I never knew that till today. Miss Gandia always used to say, P is not going to destroy your future, Amadeo. She was very concerned about the girls I could have been with in high school. She wanted me protected. She wanted me focused on academics. She wanted me to be a lawyer and a writer. That's what she wanted. I feel bad that somebody who was like a mother figure to me hurt this girl. Because there's a piece we will always care about this young woman. And if you're watching, or if you end up watching this, I didn't know what Gandhi said to you. I really didn't. But it's kind of hard for me to apologize for who I am today. Or what people perceive me to be. Atlantic City was rough. Okay. There was a small fence separating Pitney Village from our house. And Pitney was a war zone. I used to look out my window at night and you hear like this cannon. So I was getting shot. So I was getting killed. And you would just look out. You jerk your head to the right. Till this day, when I hear like a loud noise, I jerk my head to the right and I have like that flashback. You'd watch the murders and the brutality from your little bedroom in Ducktown. You know, I think things kind of hit for me junior year. You know, while well, you talk about the mock trial and everything, how life changed for me. One day... I was walking my dog, right? Scruffy. Little Maltese Terrier. Badass little dog. And Scruff was a dog that was left on a pole in our old neighborhood. I took Scruffy home and... I swear my aunt loved Scruffy more than me. He was a great dog. One day, I was walking him in the parking lot. Which was about a block away from us. There was this parking lot in where we lived, okay? You go up half a block, you make a right. There's Barbera's Fish Market. There's the White House. There's this little parking lot. Trump Plaza a few blocks away. And Scruff liked to use the bathroom in this parking lot. And three guys came up to me. And they were going to beat me and rob me and maybe do worse. 
I was getting a, my ass kicked. And all I could do was like, I got on top of Scruffy. All I kept thinking was, you know, I can't let them hurt my dog. I can't let them fucking hurt my dog, who didn't do anything to deserve to be in this situation. And a gun gets pulled. And one of them says, kill the fucking dog in front of him. And I'm ready to take a bullet for my dog. I am fucking ready to die to protect Scruffy. And one of them said... Let's just go. I'm holding my dog. And they left. They robbed me. Whatever money I had on me. Didn't have much. I ran home. I was happy that I protected my dog. But I knew, you know, dude. Can't live like this. You can't keep going through this shit. You know, and... When I looked at those mock trial books, I saw an escape. This was not about blowing you or anybody off. This was fucking survival. That's what this was. If I could study hard enough, and I could outright people, I could get us the fuck out. And it wasn't... Five years later, the first house was bought, and Scruffy, who lived a great life, when he passed away, he was in the f***ing suburbs, not worried about getting beaten or shot at. That all played a role in f***ing Mock Trial. Did I like the people in Mock Trial? No. They like me? Absolutely not. Mock Trial was a means to an end. So when I pulled away from people junior year, when I was on the Jitney in the New Jersey Transit bus and in the cafeteria sitting by myself with three mock trial books all the same different markers and highlighting and, and all and I became so obsessed with that I figured that was my one shot and Miss Gandia I'm sorry she hurt people's feelings but there was no intent there okay she molded me into a fucking machine this was going to be the path if I didn't get through the mock trials process the way I did, I wouldn't be here today. So when you say to me, you forgot who the fuck you are or where the fuck you came from, hell no I don't. Because late at night, late at night when I'm exhausted, I have the impossible fucking case in front of me. I will pull out my discovery and I will start analyzing that shit. And there's a piece of me that is back in that little tiny bedroom on Willow Avenue next to Pitney Villas looking for the gunshots. Thinking about me protecting my dog. I didn't turn my back on anyone. I turned my eyes towards something. Okay. To make it out to me was the only option. And I didn't know what option to take. Probably wasn't going to be sports, no matter how hard I tried. 
academically, I wasn't a student. I worked hard, but I was not a student. But there was something about the field of law. Keith Gradiel saw something in me, and he let me be on that team. Miss Gandy would not let me quit that team. And I am really sorry that Gandy said what she did. But she didn't mean it as an insult. I was truly the golden boy of the fucking ghetto. She wanted big things for me. I don't think I've ever turned my back on anybody from back home that sees anything. But there's certain things I just choose not to relive. I can go back to tell you when I was ready to take a bullet from my dog. And I could tell you the fear of watching and hearing the cannons of those fucking gunshots and watching people die. It's still there, man. I think back to those mock trial books. Gonna escape, man. In this life, we always need to find escape mechanisms. And sometimes we escape from ourselves temporarily. Sometimes you gotta do it. I only saw one option. There was never intent to hurt anybody. There was never intent to move past someone. I didn't choose the Margate and Ventnor kids over the Atlantic City kids. To be clear, I couldn't stand the Margate and Ventnor kids. They didn't like me. I didn't like them. As far as mock trial, they used me for my talent. They knew I was good enough to help us win some games. Win a state title. Whatever. I didn't really care about that, you know? I just sold as a mechanism, so every time I was in a tournament, it was one step closer to getting my family the fuck out of there. Don't tell me about Pitney Village in the 90s unless you fucking lived there. And if you lived there and you were white, okay, let's have a real conversation, because I don't know too many people that were there. It was rough. Grew up in a real diverse neighborhood. We all have a different image of survival. But we all gotta find a way to make it happen. And to me, mock trial was it. So, to anybody that feels that I've turned my back on my past, that's not possible. But to anybody that thinks we're gonna relive that past, that's not gonna happen. That's it for now.
The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.